Well, as we continue on in our journey through the book of Zechariah, we do find ourselves again in chapter 11. And we are going to look at all 17 verses of this chapter together. As I was uh, digging through some commentaries and listening to some fellow pastors preach this text, one of the things that became very prevalent or evident to me is that it seems to be that Zechariah finds himself enacting somewhat of a play, many commentators say. Uh, And so we have different acts or scenes within this main play that happens before us in verses 1 through 17, a drama, if you will. And Zechariah is the main character. He is personifying different roles throughout these three different scenes, and that's exactly how I want us to see this lengthy chapter together. I want us to focus upon Zechariah and see the, see the roles in which he plays in these scenes, these three scenes. And so in verses 1 through 3, Zechariah is going to be the lead singer, if you will. In verses 4 through 14, we're going to see Zechariah personifying the good shepherd. And then in 15 through 17, the foolish or the worthless shepherd. And so with that in mind, let us read God's word again, all 17 verses, and then we'll expound it together. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Well, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Well, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been failed. The sound of the well of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord, because I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staves, one I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die, and what is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left to devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price, at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. And then I broke my second staff union 
annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his harm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, even in the reading of this lengthy text that's before us in Zechariah chapter 11, we find some sobering words that are directed to the false shepherds and those who follow the false shepherds. Very clearly, early on within our journey through these 17 verses, we need to understand that Zacharias, he is distinguishing here these message of woe and judgment against these false shepherds and also being the representation of the good shepherd. He's breaking apart the people that are gathered here in Jerusalem causing us to see a group that has followed the false shepherds and a group, a remnant, if you will, that follows the good. And so as we journey into this text, we look first at verses 1 through 3 and this song that is being sung. I hope that in your pew Bibles, if that's what you're using, you see that even the text is formatted into a song or poetry with stanzas helping us to understand that here in this first act of the drama, if you will, if we're to use those commentators, uh, you know, outline of how they break down the text, Zachariah is the lead singer. He stands center stage before us and he begins to sing this song that is a song that we would deem as imprecatory. This is song of of, of judgment sung by Zechariah as the prophet of the Lord. And he sings these lyrics that have grave judgment that is going to fall down upon these false shepherds that we met in chapter 10. And so in verses 1 and 2, he calls in this song these false shepherds to understand that this judgment of God is coming. You notice how he says it there in verse 2, this idea of wailing. Now, I don't know if you wail when you cry, but it seems that Anna Kate has a good wail when she cries. It's this idea that it's not just tears streaming down your face, but it's this loud lament that fills the house, or here within our text, fills the temple of the Lord. And he's saying you need to wail because the destruction that which the cedars and the cypress trees experience, that is the judgment of the Lord that you will experience as false shepherds of my sheep. Now don't miss how... The song in verse 1 describes the judgment of our God. He says it is a fire that devours the cedars. 
If you're a good Bible reader, especially in your New Testament, you'll be reminded there that the author of Hebrews says that our God is a consuming fire. That His wrath and judgment shows itself with flames and with smoke. And so when you have this call in verses 1 and 2 for these false shepherds to wail because they will soon be ruined, you have the fire, the wrath of the Lord consuming them. And then in verse 3, this is what's really intriguing here about verse 3. It's as if Zechariah, being the main singer of this song, the lead singer of this song, now calls for those false shepherds to sing along with them. It's this idea, as one commentator says, that they are singing their funeral song and they don't even know it yet. They are singing their song of their destruction because they are guilty of leading God's people astray. They are guilty in shepherding in a way that promotes themselves rather than pitying God's people. And so he calls them as a choir of sorts to to join him in this song. In verse 3, it's the sound of the wail of the shepherds. And they're singing and yet they don't even realize that their glory is ruined They sing aloud in such a way that it sounds like a roar of lions, verse 3 says, and yet they are going to be those who are consumed by the fire. And you think, well, Matt, why do we spend time on the first three stanzas as we begin to think about false shepherds? Well, I think it's a warning for us to test the leaders of the church. We can cut on our television, especially after midnight, And we can begin to flip through channels and we can see channel after channel after channel demonstrating to us false teaching by these televangelists. Or we can peruse throughout the evangelical world, quote unquote, and we can see churches that are led by false shepherds that are seeking to bring glory to their name and not seeking to be a compassionate leader of God's church. So we see false shepherding all around us, really. But when we think about testing the leaders to prove themselves to be good shepherds, at least in our Presbyterian context, I think about simply officer training and and elder and deacon elections. I think about how in those seasons in the fall where we are praying over who are going to lead us in the church and we are testing those men through training and examinations who are going to be leading this church. We're looking at things like character and calling and gifting as potential elders and deacons of God's flock right here at First Presbyterian Church. And and oftentimes I'm asked in the fall, why do we do this? Why why do we make these men, if they're willing to, to, to lead the church, why do we make these men go through these training classes? If they're willing, shouldn't we just put them in the office and let them lead? No, is the simple answer to that. Because we have to be very concerned with making sure that we have men leading the church who are not exposed to the fiery judgment of God. You see, when James writes in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, not many of you should become 
leaders, my brothers, in the church, for you know that those who lead will be judged with a greater strictness. We have to make sure that the men who are signing up to lead and the church that they're going to lead, that they must know the full measure of what they are getting into, we might say, but also to make sure that the church has tested them and examined them and elected them into these offices so that they might lead us as good shepherds in paths of righteousness into the place of rest. On the Lord's Day, as we think about Psalm 23, those greenest of pastures and the living waters resting in the salvation of our Christ as He has fully paid the debt of our justification and bringing us to the streams of living water where we might come and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. We cannot be a people of God who treat the flock of God with indifference. That is what the prophet is warning us against to simply say that if a man is willing to lead and so let's let him lead that is indifference to the care of the flock of God and if we have leaders who are not called to be leaders if we have elders and deacons who are not called to serve in those capacities we might be like those in chapter 10 who because of the leading of False shepherds are now wandering like lost sheep and afflicted. And so in verses 1 through 3, we have this grave warning to ensure that we are not led by these false shepherds who will, who will face the wrath of God, but that we are led by good and faithful shepherds. And that's what comes to us in verses 4 through 14, the most lengthy section of our text this evening verses 4 through 14 is that second scene of the play if you will and there in verse 4 Zechariah is commanded not now to be the song leader but now to be the shepherd the good shepherd look back at look back at it with me in verse 4 thus said the Lord my God become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Now what we have to make sure that we are understanding here is that chapter 11 comes on the heels of chapter 10. That seems pretty self-explanatory, I think, that the context of chapter 11 is chapter 10. And so we are looking at a people back in verse 2 of chapter 10 that because they have been shepherded or because their shepherding has been non-existent, let me put it that way, they are people, as we just were reminded, they're wandering, they're lost, they're afflicted for a lack of a shepherd. That's in verse 2 of chapter 10. And so now as we come into verse 4, this flock doomed to slaughter, what we really should be thinking about, and this becomes even more clear to us in verse 7, that there is a group of sheep that are wandering away and they realize that these false shepherds are leading them to the slaughter. And so they are a sheep. They are a sheep foal that need a good shepherd. And Zechariah is told by the Lord to be that shepherd. 
He's told by the Lord to now lead them with this staff and with this rod. If you look back at verse 7, one of them is going to be named Favor and one of them is going to be named Union. I was talking about this at Presbytery yesterday. If, if you were there, you heard me say this, but one of my favorite phrases that Dr. Ligon Duncan used all week last week, it was very profound and very academic. He would say, he would read a text like this, he would go, well, one rod is named Union, one staff is named Favor. What's up with that? That's how what he would do. He'd lean over the, the podium. What's up with that? Well, what's up with this? This is the good shepherd bringing favor and union to his elect sheep. You think about John chapter 10, where Jesus has already proclaimed to us that he is the sheep door. That he is the door of the sheepfold where, where sheep can go in and out. And then later on in that chapter, he tells us not only is he the door, that leads to the greenest of pastures, but that he is the good shepherd. And he begins to distinguish between the sheepfolds, if you will. He says, there is a group of sheep that they hear my voice and they obey it, for they know my voice. My sheep know me and I know my sheep, and so they follow me. But then there is a group, on the other hand, that they hear me say their name, they hear me calling, and yet they turn a deaf ear to me because they're not my sheep. You've heard Dr. Bumgarner use the illustration before, but it always rings true when I think about John chapter 10 as he watches when he was visiting the Holy Land, all these shepherds gathering in the valley and they are all you know, intermingling and it's time for them to you know, part ways and the shepherds all begin to call their sheep. And, and what's unbelievable about this is all these shepherds are calling their sheep at the same time, but the sheep know their shepherd. And so they go to their shepherd. Well, here in Zechariah, the benefit of being a member of this sheepfold that are, that are guarded and directed by the staff of favor and the staff of union, they know the shepherd's voice. They now follow Zechariah. They follow this good shepherd. And yet there's this other group of sheep that are not Zachariah's sheep. We'll handle them in just a minute. But think about that idea of favor and union. This, this idea of favor and union is the promise that for God's people, for Zachariah's sheep here in our text, but ultimately for Christ's sheep, there is favor with God. That we have favor with God for, you know, through our Lord Jesus Christ who because of His death we have been counted as His. What Jesus will say later on in John chapter 10 is not only do my sheep know my voice and they follow me, but I lay my life down for my sheep. Remember the distinguishing groups. The life that I lay down upon the cross of Calvary is not for those sheep over there that are not mine. It's for my sheep. And so favor comes to His sheep. Flourishing, success, blessing, all of those things could be 
wrapped into that idea of favor, but also union. We might actually translate it as fellowship. You see, what what happens with the shepherd and the sheep is there becomes, for the good shepherd, this, this relationship of intimacy that exists between the shepherd and the sheep. So much so, remember the illustration, that the good shepherd loves each and every one of his sheep in such a way that he would leave the 99 to go seek out the one. And you say, boy, that's love. That's love. That's extreme and radical love that that the shepherd would, would seek out that one sheep that has strayed away so that he might be brought back into the sheepfold. And so we have union, fellowship. We have favor, blessing that exists for the sheep of God. These sheep in which Zechariah has now been commissioned, if you will, to take care of. But you also see this other group of sheep. In in verse 8, he talks about how he destroyed three false shepherds. Now, camp there for a second. We're we're talking about excommunicating false teachers, okay? Uh, We're talking about the the hard but necessary ministry for God's shepherds, under shepherds, to enact this discipline, church discipline. He's talking about in this one month, I cast away or destroyed three shepherds. And we really don't know what the incident here that Zachariah is referring to, but it's an example, isn't it, of the commitment of the good shepherd to chase out the wolves. It's the commitment of the good shepherd to, to chase out the wolves. He knows that these false shepherds will will lead to disunity, will lead to cursing, the very opposite of what He has promised for God's sheepfold, union and favor. And so He says, I stood in opposition to these false teachers, these false shepherds, and I in great impatience. It's almost as if He's saying, and I did it quickly. I noticed the false shepherds, And I got rid of them because they could not be with God's flock. And so we have to think about this. This is a hard but necessary thing. It's a a duty, if you will, of the good shepherd that is not a, a pleasant or popular thing. But but the call here is that the shepherds of God's flock will be quick to remove those who are in that who they'll be quick to remove those who endanger God's children. You know, this morning I talked about how we often struggle with the idea of, of sin in, in deep South Bible Belt culture. Well, there's another issue that exists in deep South Bible Belt culture, and it's a culture of niceness. We 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 are you know we, we hate confrontation. And we'll do anything to kind of keep the status quo. We'll avoid giving offense. We'll, at all costs, want to kind of try to keep ordinary social interactions. And so immediately when we think about casting away a false teacher, or we begin to think about disciplining those false shepherds within the sheepfold, 
We think, well, Matt, that's not very loving. And yet, the opposite is true, isn't it? That it is very loving. For God's shepherds, the good shepherds, to chase out with great impatience those who would seek to lead God's children astray. And so that's the first thing he says, is with great impatience I chase them away. But also he says, notice what he says there, continuing on. Not only did he become impatient with these false shepherds, but he also grew impatient with this other sheepfold that he was freely calling to join his own sheepfold, shepherded by the good shepherd, and yet they continued on in their way. They continued following the false shepherds. And so the imagery here that you should be seeing is that Zechariah is sitting there as a picture of the good shepherd of the sheep, and he is calling the sheep to come unto him while at the same time chasing off the false shepherds. And as he calls, his sheep are coming to him, but those who are not his sheep, they're following the false three shepherds away. And he goes, with impatience, I gave them over to their desire. It's the same language of Romans chapter 1. That I gave them over to their wicked and perverse minds, their own desires. And we have to be very careful with that. There's a balance within gospel ministry that's often hard. We're called to offer the gospel freely. We're called to preach the gospel to all nations. And yet, as Zechariah is experiencing here in this second scene, when we call, there will be some who will come and some who will turn a deaf ear and follow the false teachers away. And as we call and as we call and as we call, there will be those who will persist in their sins. And ultimately, what the call of the Good Shepherd is, is to make sure that we are protecting and caring for those who remain and allowing those who want to chase after worldly pleasures and worldly desires to go on in their sin. It's the pattern that Matthew 18 sets before us as well as we think about how to confront one another in sin. Ultimately, after the call of the gospel has happened and happened and happened, ultimately it says, and turn them over. Turn them over. And care for those who remain. And so to show this breaking of the covenant with this second sheepfold, these sheep that desire to go after the false shepherds, he says that he took his staff of favor and he broke it, annulling the covenant that he had made. And as he broke it, they knew that it was the word of the Lord. That should sober us, because those people who chase their sins and those people who have the church calling them to repent of their sins and, and cling to Christ as He is offered in the gospel, ultimately as we turn them over, it's not that they're saying, look how mean Matt is. They're saying, I know that it's a call of the Lord and yet I do not care. They have a wicked and a perverse mind. They have a hardened heart that hates God and His ways. And so the covenant is now broken. 
with them. And even it says this union staff is annulled and they are separated, you see. The idea of being broken or annulling the brotherhood as it writes between Judah and Israel, this breaking of the kingdom. What's happening here is this, it's the breaking of the sheepfold. There are going to be God's sheep and there are going to be the false shepherd's sheep. We have these two distinguished groups. One who is being shepherded by the good shepherd and one that is following the false shepherds. And, and, and your, your New Testament mind should be sounding the alarm as we hit verse 12. Zechariah said to those sheep that are going to follow the false shepherd, they said, he said, you know what, give me your wages, or give me my wages rather. Whatever you think that my efforts have earned, give me my wages if you think they've earned anything. It's kind of an interesting question. They're leaving, you're turning them over to their sins and their worldly desires, and then you're calling back and you're saying, you know, if, if you want to pay me for my efforts, you may do so. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but I do know that our gospel minds should be ringing the alarm because what do they decide to pay him? 30 pieces of silver. That's what they count the ministry of Zechariah as the good shepherd here in this second scene to be worth. And you know that's exactly what the religious establishment will say that the ministry of Jesus is worth. A slave's pay. A slave's pension. It's this 30 pieces of silver. And then the Lord said in verse 13, throw it to the potter. And it's here that is quoted for us in the Gospel of Matthew as Judas is sorrowful for what he did, betraying the Christ. He throws it back to the feet of the religious establishment. This, watch the play on words here, the lordly price. The price of our Lord is that's how they price Zechariah. It's a, it's a slap in the face, don't you see? It's spiteful. Zechariah, you weren't worth even a slave's pension for me. You weren't worth anything to me. And that's exactly what the religious establishment says to the Lord. If it's a slave's might that I give you, I'll pay you that to go away. I heard one pastor say as he was preaching this text, it's as if you had bad service at a restaurant and you said, well, I don't want her to think or I don't want him to think that I forgot to leave the tip so I'm going to leave a penny because I want them to know how rotten of a service they gave. That's what these false sheep following these false shepherds have done to Zechariah and ultimately that's what they do to our Lord as well. They spit in his face and say he is worth nothing. And so as the covenant is broken between these false sheep and Zechariah personifying the good shepherd, ultimately the Christ Jesus, he now in the third scene takes on the role of the foolish or worthless shepherd. Verses 15 through 17. Zechariah is playing a very different role. He's playing the role essentially of those three false shepherds that he has cast out. Take once more, verse 15 says, the equipment of a foolish shepherd 
For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. What's being displayed here is that what is going to prove to be true are these sheep that follow the false shepherd, they are going to regret and shame what they have done. They're going to realize that these false shepherds, even though they have followed, even though they have went with them, they have led them to slaughter. For their own personal gain, they have done away with them and not cared for them. You even notice how the false shepherds early on in the text, he, he, they, they use even religious language. Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And yet, they become rich off the backs of the sheep. And you know, it's that idea, isn't it? It's that idea that, that at the coming of the Lord Jesus, on the day of the Lord, when He comes in judgment, there will be those who fall in their face in shame. They'll know the Lord for who He is, and yet they will be ashamed because they have pursued false shepherds. They have pursued worldly idols. They have pursued the flesh. All the while, the Good Shepherd has called them with the free offer of the Gospel. They will be ashamed of what they've done, but at that moment it will be too late. This message of woe in verse 17 is a, is a message for those false shepherds and those sheep that have followed the false shepherds. May the sword strike him. May their arms be withered and their eyes utterly blinded. It is a picture of total conquest. The judgment of the Lord on the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ returns will be not one of persecution and judgment and wrath for a season. It will be one that is total and eternal. And so what Zechariah is doing here is he's asking us to choose between two shepherds. Both of them being personified by Zechariah. Are we going to be those who hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow Him and receive favor and blessing and fellowship and union? Or will we be those who chase after the false shepherds thinking that for a season at least they will be good to us all to prove that they will lead us to shame and eternal destruction. Because ultimately what we see here is that as we pursue the flesh, as we chase after the false shepherds, the Lord will one day say, you may have them, but know that this is coming. And there's no more sobering thought than when the Lord comes to know that the Lord has come and yet be found apart from Him. And so let us give ourselves fully and wholly to the Good Shepherd so that for the rest of our days we might experience favor with Him and fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank You for this sobering text. And even though it's a hard text to journey through and to even think through, Lord, You are putting before us you're putting before us with the free offer of the gospel, Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep. 
who lays down His life for His sheep. And so, Lord, let us chase after Him in faith and obedience, not giving ourselves over to those shepherds who could care less about our welfare, the world, the flesh, the devil. But let us pursue Christ and His kingdom and let us know that all the things like favor and union with You will be added to us for eternity. We pray all these things in Your Son's name. Amen. Well, if you'll please stand, we'll receive the Lord's blessing uh, and then we'll sing together Psalm 117 as you find in your bulletin on page 5, which is to the tune of all creatures of our God and King. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus, now and forevermore. Amen.